We serve a God and we look to a God who has no beginning and no end, who has created everything that we see and yet has been so personal and so loving for us that he would send his son. We serve a great God, how great he is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, at times we live such distracted lives with work and with family and with issues. And Lord, it is good to come to your house. It is good to think on your greatness and to gaze upon you and you alone. And Father, I ask now for your word to do the same thing, to redirect our hearts to really what matters that our focus might truly be you. And I ask for your enablement now, even as I preach. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. I pray that you would grant me a passion and a wisdom and a love. Lord, that I would be strong, but yet gentle. And Lord, that I would just preach in a way that honors you, preaching to an audience of one. Lord, feed us full. Feed us your word. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, I want to officially introduce my nephew to you. Here's the little guy. Born the other day to my sister Lee and her husband Steve in Summers Point, New Jersey. His name is Deacon Kenneth Adams. Handsome little man, isn't he? Looks just like his Uncle Scott. Anyway, <laughs> Deacon, may he truly be a servant of the Lord and a servant of God's people. He's a little guy, but he's going to grow, and growing kids cost money. Lots of money, and kids can be expensive. Parents shell out a lot of serious money from day one. You know it, parents. I mean, you're, you're paying for baby clothes and baby food and toys and car seats and strollers and playpens and doctor's visits, checkups, medicine, all kinds of activities, camps, music lessons, sports, sports equipment, sports uniforms, travel teams, oh my goodness, uh, driver's ed, if, if you have a teenage boy. Food, food, more food. Where's the food? What's for lunch? What's for dinner? Do we have any food? If you have teenage girls, clothes, clothes, more clothes, clothes. And, and let's not even talk about college. It'll send me into depression. I've got two in college right now, okay? Well, one study has concluded that the average cost of raising a child from birth to high school is $304,480. Birth through high school. Now, some of you here are already doing the math because you've got like five or six kids and they're all small. Here's the good news. Price per child decreases the more kids you have. So keep having kids because <laughs> they share rooms and you buy food in bulk and you pass the hand-me-downs down, whatever. Well, too few kids really understand or appreciate all that their parents do for them. Too few kids really understand or appreciate all that their parents spend on them. Too few of God's children fully understand and appreciate all that their Heavenly Father did for them. Too few of us as God's children fully understand and appreciate all that our Heavenly Father continues to do for us. Last week we learned an important truth found in 1 Peter chapter 1. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But with what kind of blood? Precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless 
the blood of Christ. You and me, we cost our Heavenly Father. We cost Him so much. And our Heavenly Father has done so much for us both in this life and for all of eternity. And I don't know about you, but I need to grow in my appreciation. I need to grow in my appreciation of of who God is and and what he has really done. And that's part of Peter's message found in 1 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 20. If if at any time you come into the church and, and you're without a Bible, you've forgotten it, we always have one in the back tables just to let you know as well. Part of Peter's message is a message of appreciation to these believers who are finding themselves suffering. Some are being persecuted and and they're hurting and they're confused and they've gotten their eyes maybe too much on themselves. And and Peter, under inspiration of the Spirit, is going to use the Word of God to redirect them and redirect us back to God and back to others. Follow along as I read in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures. How long? Forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. I need to do a better job of appreciating my heavenly father and and all that he's done. And and it needs to start here. I I need to marvel at the plan of God. I I need just to stop and take in what he has really done. And that's what we see in verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world and has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. So God's plan is an eternal plan. Eternity stepped into time to save you. And to save me. He was foreknown. That is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is our eternal God. I want you to understand this this study that we're going to have on Christology right now. The study of Christ. He created this world. Colossians 1.16 For by him, that's the Lord Jesus, all things were created. Both in the heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That is your Lord. That is your Savior. He is the creator God. Hebrews 1, 2. In these last days he has spoken to us through his son, the Lord Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also, what did he make? He made this world. He's created this world, our Lord. He's existed before the world. John 5, 8, 58. He said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, say it with me, I am. Hearkening back to Exodus. He is the great I am. He is God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. John 17, 5, and then verse 24, in the great high priestly prayer of our Lord. 
Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. For you love me before the foundation of the world. He has laid aside his glory to be born a man. Philippians 2.6 The Lord Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Eternity stepped into time. And being made in the likeness of, a, of men, being found in appearance of a man, as a man, he humbled himself, he empties himself, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Eternity, God himself, stepped into time, his eternal plan to save you. Marvel at that child of God. He is the one who has always been and will always be the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the revelation of John 1, 4, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And in verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, he is God. Eternity stepped into time to save you. Marvel at the eternal plan of Almighty God. And again in verse 17 at the end, I am the first, I am the last. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. I am the first. I am the last. I want you to understand your salvation was forever part of God's eternal plan. Peter preaching at Pentecost concerning the Lord Jesus in Acts 2 verse 23. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross. The sacrifice of our Savior for our sin was ordained, predestined before time, according to the foreknowledge of God Himself. Eternity stepped into time. Eternal Son of God appeared and lived among us. It says, but He appeared in these last times for your sake. Galatians 4, 4, and 5. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might, what? Redeem those who were under the law. He came to die for you. He came to die for me, that we might receive the adoption as sons. It's an eternal plan, but it is a personal plan. Verse 20. He's appeared in these last times for the sake of you. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. You need to understand what God says about you. I stepped into time to save you. That's how much you are loved by God. That's how much he cares for you. Jesus came to save you. The relationship with the Father is only through the Son. That's why eternity had to step into time. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. There was no way for me, no way for you to go to God except for God to become a man and to be our mediator. That's why there is an exclusivity to the gospel message. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in who? No one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father, what? But by me. Only by him. It is an eternal plan. It is a personal plan. Marvel at this plan. It is a miraculous plan. Look at verse 21. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. He died for us and was raised to life. Our Savior lives. That's the message of Easter. The price was paid, fully accepted. The resurrection is the receipt of our redemption. Not only was he raised, he was glorified and gave him glory, ascended on high, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of his children, and one day returning to rule and reign in glory upon this earth. Hebrews 1.3, of the Lord Jesus Christ it is said, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Marvel at this plan. Eternal, personal, miraculous, and glorious. And then look what he says here. So that your faith and hope are in God. Do not place your faith and hope in people. Do not place your faith and hope in things. Do not place your faith and hope in anything in this world. Put your faith and hope in God. Now, I want you to understand this. Psalm 49, 7 and 8. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. Nobody can pay the ticket for you to go to heaven except Jesus Christ who died on the cross. The redemption of his soul is costly. He should cease for trying forever. You cannot redeem anybody. Only God can redeem something. And that price was paid by the Lamb of God for our sins. Faith and hope in God. Now, now I want you to pick this apart with me. So that your faith and hope are in God. By faith, we are saved. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So place your faith in God for salvation. Put your hope in God so that your hope is in God. So listen carefully. By faith, we have redemption of our souls. By hope, we await the redemption of our bodies. It covers both. It covers the material and the immaterial. It covers my soul as well as my body. Uh, My faith for the salvation of my soul is in God. My hope for redemption of my body is in God. Verse 21, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. We also will one day rise from the grave. John 11, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will what? You're going to live even if you die. Romans 8, 23, not only this, but we also, we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, what do we do? We groan. How many of you woke up this morning? (laughs) Groaning because your back or your shoulder or your knee or your hip or your neck or all the above. We groan because these bodies are breaking down. But we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And this is not just a New Testament truth, but also an Old Testament truth. Even in Job chapter 19, verse 25. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, what? I shall see God. That's the resurrection whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. Our faith and our hope are 
in God, the one who saves our souls and the one who will one day raise up these bodies. Now, if God has displayed such incredible love to me, and God has displayed such incredible love with this plan for us, we are his children, and we share something so special. And not only do we share this plan of God, we also are to share in the love of God. So I need to marvel at the plan of God. And now look at verse 22. Secondly, I need to love the family of God. Say that with me. Love the family of God. So he goes through this grandiose doctrine of who Jesus is and eternity stepping into time. And then he says, I want you to apply this to your life and understand you're part of the family of God and you have a responsibility to one another. Verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. In other words, to put it this way, true redemption leads to sincere affection. True redemption leads to sincere affection. If you're a true child of God, you will love the children of God. Now he starts off by saying you've responded to the truth in obedience. Verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. And he's saying you've obeyed the truth. You didn't ignore the gospel. You didn't run from it. You embraced it and God changed your life. Obedience is a synonym for belief. Similar to 1 Peter 1, 2. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Again, synonym for belief, obedience. So obedience means coming to faith. Obedience means responding to the message of the gospel. And the result of that was purification. I've been saved from my sins. You've been saved from your sins. We've been redeemed. We've been saved. Now the evidence of a saved life is a sincere love. Don't miss that. The evidence of a saved life is a sincere love. Look at verse 22. For a sincere love of the brethren. He's saying, love the family of God. He's saying, love your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And he's saying, I want it sincere. I I want it real. I don't want it fake. I don't want it to show. We have a couple, uh, Bavesh and Hina Patel, that attend Harvest. They were invited um, back in 2012 by the Kroners to come to church. They come from a Hindu background. Shortly after coming here, they came to faith in Jesus Christ. George and Tonda Curry on Tuesday night during our visitation went out to their home and led them to the Lord. It's amazing how a simple invite from neighbors and a simple visit from friends of our church changed lives for eternity. Don't you ever doubt how God can use you by a simple invite of your neighbors to come and a simple visit to their home by people in this church. They were baptized this past February, growing in their faith. They serve in the church. They serve in our PADS ministry. PADS is our homeless ministry. Uh, During the fall and winter months, once once a night or once a week, we have people who are homeless sleep in God's house. No better place for them to sleep. Well, Hina took the initiative after meeting a couple uh, who had been coming to pads and they were finally getting on their feet and finding an apartment and they had nothing. And so Hina took the initiative just within the last week or so to share it on Facebook and inundated with supplies. 
I mean, people in this church donated couches and love seats and TV cabinets, shelving, bath supplies, kitchen supplies, food, gift cards, money. That is the love of God in action. That's what we are supposed to be doing. That's called a sincere love of the brethren, reaching out to fellow believers and blessing them. Now, the word love of the brethren is the word Philadelphia. Philadelphia means brotherly love. Downtown Philly, by the way, there's this famous statue you can go by there. We get the bean. They get love. (laughs) By the way, growing up in South Jersey near Philadelphia, we always called it the city of brotherly shove. But anyway, just another thing. But it's not just brotherly love. More important, it's brother love. In other words, it's not love as though we were brothers. It's love because we're brothers. There's a difference. It's not brotherly love. It's brother love. That's what the word means. It's not as though we were bro- We are brothers. We are brothers and sisters in Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13.1, same word is used. Let love of the brethren, what? Continue. Some of you have let it stop. Some of you have let it stall out. Some of you have made excuses. Well, I'm just going to be taken advantage of. And you know what? Someone else can serve them. And you know what? Someone else can give. And so, Really, where's that in Scripture? <laughs> let love of the brethren stop? No. Let love of the brethren stall out and putter? No. Let love of the brethren continue. God is saying some of you need to jump it into gear, fire it back up. When you hear about the need of a fellow brother or sister in Christ, you need to do something. Let love of the brethren continue. It's a sincere love, and it's also an all-out love for the family of God. He says a sincere love of the brethren, and then he says fervently love one another from the heart. So this is not a suggestion, but a command. This is not an option, but an obligation. He's saying, I want you to do this. I'm counting on you to do this. I'm telling you to do this. Later in 1 Peter, we'll be reminded again in chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Love each other. Forgive each other. Take care of each other. Because you're brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you here this morning are holding grudges against fellow believers in Jesus Christ. You're filled with anger and you're filled with bitterness and, and you're not letting it go. You've stopped the love. Let love of the brethren continue. Fervent. Above all. Because it covers a multitude of sins. I want you to understand how important this love is. Love is an evidence of your salvation, whether you truly are saved or not. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. So if you're truly walking with God and filled with the Spirit of God, there will be love evidenced in your life. If you're struggling with showing love to fellow believers, you are not Spirit-filled. You are carnal. You are fleshly. You are away from God. The fruit of the Spirit is a litmus test for how well we're doing with God. For the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. 
You're struggling with those things? It's a litmus test saying, oh man, I'm not walking with God. I thought I was walking with God and I better get right with God. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How would I know I'm saved? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides where? In death. Similar in 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. It is an evidence of my salvation and your salvation. And if there is no sincere love for God's family and God's people, there's good reason to question our salvation. Have we really ever come to faith in Jesus Christ? Because if I am walking with this God who is love, I will be a child who looks like their father and acts like their father and does as their father does. He says fervently love. Now the word fervent is an athletic term. Be fervent in it. It it means striving with all your energy, pushing the limits to make it happen, full capacity. It's it's extending and stretching yourself and going all out. It's the triple crown winner, American Pharaoh, surging and stretching for the finish line. That's what it is. That's the kind of love. God wants you to be a triple crown Christian, stretching and surging and crossing and doing and involved in people's lives. He doesn't want you a donkey in the back, just burrowing away. He wants you surging, stretching, going. That's fervent love. Now, it's interesting, he's used two different words for love. Before, he used Philadelphia, brother love. Now, he uses agape, sacrificial love. So, this is a love that seeks the highest good of others at the expense of self. He's saying, I want a brother love and I want a sacrificial love. And I want them both active in your life. And and it's a one another love. Fervently love one another. We are so good at loving ourselves. We're so good at feeding ourselves. We're so good at clothing ourselves. We're so good at taking care of ourselves. We're so good at letting other people know about ourselves. We're experts in ourselves. And you know what God is saying? I want you to become an expert in others. I want you to start thinking about others. And I want you to start doing for others. And I want you to start really loving others. What a powerful testimony to a watching world. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have Love for one another. Three times in two verses. Love one another. First John 4, variety of verses. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment which we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. You know a great place to practice this and start this is getting involved in a life group at at this church. Getting involved with a group of believers. 
One of our values at our church is connect with significance. When you connect with significance with other believers, you can practice this love. You can share this love. This, this, is, this is a Carlinized life group, a, a few of us. I couldn't get everybody in. Plus, we obviously have some goofballs in this group, you can see. Um, you may say, well, how do I get in your life group? I just, I just sent an email out to a running group and invited whoever wanted to come. That's how it happened. So these are all runners or connections with people who run, and we get together every two weeks. We study, we fellowship, we pray, we lift each other up. We're there to care for each other. That's what you need. I want to encourage you to get involved in a life group. We have a ministry information area out there. After the service, go out there. Sign up. Get a group of, group of people you know. Study together. Care for each other. Pray together. It's a fantastic time. It's not only a fervent love, a sacrificial love, a one another love. Look at verse 22. It's a heart love. Fervently love one another from the heart. That means without hypocrisy, deep, authentic, real, and genuine. It's what Romans 12, 9 tells us to do. Let love be without hypocrisy. Say it with me. Let love be without hypocrisy. So I need to marvel at the plan of God and love the people of God. In verse 23 through 25, I need to value the word of God. We value so many things. We value technology and we value entertainment and we value sports and we value all these things that don't really mean anything in the long run. And God is saying, I want you to understand how, how important the word of God is. Verse 23, you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. The word of God was used to save your soul. The word of God brings life change. The word of God is spiritual seed. Isn't that what Jesus taught in the parable of the four kinds of soil? Luke eight eleven. he said, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And that seed was sown in your soul and sprung to life and you were saved. That's how valuable the word of God is. The word of God enacts faith, and by faith we are saved. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ or the word of God. We were caused to be born again, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. And earlier in the passage, he's mentioned being born again. 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The word of God was instrumental in that. Jesus told the religious leader Nicodemus on two different occasions. John 3, verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again. And in verse 7, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. To be born again is to be born of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God implants the Word of God, and we are born of God. That is how important the Word of the living God is to us. It was the Spirit of God who implanted the Word of God to cause us to be born of God. It's a supernatural, spiritual seed, the Word of God. And the Word of God, we are told in verse 23, is imperishable and living and enduring. 
Imperishable meaning it's impervious to corruption, death, or decay. And it's living. It means it actively possesses life. That's why we read in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why every single Sunday after I preach, somebody emails me. Somebody comes up to me. Somebody talks to me and says, have you bugged my house? How did you know we're going through that? Pastor Scott, how could you know that? I don't know anything about you. I'm not stalking you on Facebook, I promise. That is the power of God's word. Some of you sitting here this morning, God has convicted you. That's the spirit of God taking the word of God and using this in my life and using this in your life. It is imperishable. It is living. It is enduring. That's what you have in your Bible. It's permanent and unchanging and never obsolete or irrelevant. It spans the ages and is never outdated. That is the word of God and its message. It is life-giving and never changing. All else withers, not the word of God. And that's why he quotes Isaiah 40. In verse 24, he says, All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. He says, all life on this planet, all human existence, life is short, it's fail, it's frail, it's frail, it's fallen, it's, it's temporary. We all have an expiration date, and everything on this planet has an expiration date. And he says, all its glory is like the flower of grass. So, all of its glory, take all of the highlights of your life. Take all the highlights of your life, all of your achievements, awards, trophies, the deals that you made, the victories that you won, the blooming flower of power and popularity fall petal by petal to the ground. It is all short-lived. It does not last. Day by day, we face the inevitable end of our shriveling state of physical existence. That is what is taking place. Life is short. All flesh is like grass. All its glory like the flower of grass. Here's just a few descriptions to remind us of the brevity of this life. Job 7, 6. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. As thread is woven back and forth by a weaver, so our days disappear quickly, one by one by one by one by one. Job 7, 9. When a cloud vanishes, it is gone. So is he who goes down to Sheol, does not come up. It's like a passing cloud. Job 9.25, now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They slip by like reed boats, just a boat that disappears into the horizon. Like an eagle that swoops down on its prey. So life is gone in an instant. Job 14.2, like a flower, he he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow, does not remain. That's why we read in Psalm 39, 4 and 5. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you've made my days as hand breaths. That's just a short measurement. My lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere what? Just a breath. God says, I want you to get the perspective of your life. You are a breath and you're gone. 
in light of eternity on this planet. Psalm 78, 39. Thus he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. Psalm 102, 11. My days are like a lengthened shadow. I wither away like grass. James 4, 14. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a what? A vapor, a mist. Pierce for a little while, then vanishes away. He says, get this, how short your life is. Weaver shuttle, cloud, runner, boat, eagle, flower, shadow, handbreadth, wind, grass, vapor. You are not here very long. The word of God, though, endures forever. It never decays. It's the second word that he uses for word. He used two words for love, Philadelphia and agape. Now he uses two words for the word word, lagos and rhema. Lagos, meaning comprehensive, includes thought as well as expression. Rhema, that which is spoken, the divine revelation of God. He's saying, value the ever-living, never-changing word of the living God. Value it so much that you will start reading it. Every single day. Value it so much that you will start studying it with other believers, whether in an ABF, whether in a life group. Value the Word of God so much that you'll write out verses or type out verses, memorize verses. Value that which endures forever. Your athletic career is not going to endure forever. Your house isn't going to endure forever. Your clothes are going to go out of style. Some of you, they already are, but that's another issue. I mean, I want you to think about this. We value all this stuff that doesn't last. Start valuing the word of God. And then he ends verse 25 with these words. And this is the word which was preached to you. The supernatural seed was planted in your soul and it sprung up to eternal life, imperishable life, living life, and enduring life. And the word that he used preached here is the word we get evangelized from. It's the good news. It's the gospel. I need to do a better job. You know what I need to do? I need to marvel at the plan of God and I need to love the people of God and I need to value the word of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, help us to take the heart what Peter has recorded for us. Help us to never forget that eternity has stepped into time. Help us to do a better job of loving each other and to be in your word. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Talk to the Lord right now, you who are believers in him. Maybe there's a renewed commitment that you need to make. A renewed commitment with being in his word or loving his people. Maybe you just need to give him praise for that eternal plan that is, is just beyond human full comprehension. And just give him praise that he did all that for the sake of you.
Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here this morning and you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ. You've been a religious person, go to church from time to time. You need to understand there's so much more than that. This God of the universe who created it, created you and he loves you. And he will save you from all your sins. And you may say, Scott, that's what I want. I I need his love. I need his forgiveness. Will he save me? Yes, he will. You may say, well, what do I do? Just call out to him right now in faith. The word of God you've heard this morning has been planted in your soul. Let it spring to life. Call out to him with words like these. Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again. I believe that you are God. Please forgive me of all my sin. Please save me from all my sin. I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. I place my faith in you and you alone, Lord. Forgive me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.